Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I'm a little disappointed this morning because uh, we use this app called Planning Center, and what it's used for is kind of planning our services out. And so what happens is uh, the, whoever's leading the band, like Barry this week, will, during the week, put in planning center, uh, the set list, the songs, and all that, and then, uh, you know, I get to see it, and I get this invitation to be part of that service on planning center, and I accept, and all that. Anyways, this week, when I was looking through planning center, I saw uh, the songs, and I saw that one of the songs was Joyful, Joyful. And underneath it, in a little subtitle, it said, uh, Sister Act 2 Version, and then a little hyphen said, Grant does the rap. And I would text the bears like, what? No way. And he said, well, it's just a prank on Grant. Actually, we're not actually doing that. So I was, a, I was a little bit disappointed. So what I thought this morning I should do is I thought I should call Grant out because hopefully he's prepped for that and call him out and get him up on stage here to perform the Sister Act 2 rap for us. However, this week, talking about that at home, I made another very important discovery, and Talisi told me that uh, when she was in high school, her and her friend um, performed the Sister Act 2 version of Joyful Joyful at their high school at an assembly, and that she did the rap part. So I kind of thought, maybe instead of calling Grant out, I'd kind of let them workshop it for the week, and then maybe next week we could get them up here, okay? So you guys can look forward to that. I actually watched that Sister Act 2 clip of Joyful Joyful this week. If you haven't watched that in a while, or ever, go on YouTube. The, the outfits, man, like, and I... I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, well, Doug lived through this era, and I'm trying to picture Doug dressed like, you know, Lauren Hill and her friends. But anyways, um, it's great. I'm also, uh, I'm a little sad that Talisi kept that secret from me for so long. I can understand why, because I immediately brought it onto stage and told you all about that. Um, I'm also a little choked with her, because yesterday evening, she told me it was daylight savings. I had no idea. And um, for me, uh, two things. If I didn't know and phones didn't automatically switch, I would have just slept in longer, but my phone does switch. So when I wake up on daylight savings, I would have no idea. And I would just think, oh, it's a normal day. But because of her telling me that, I woke up this morning and psychologically immediately felt a little bit, because I knew, I was like, I know, I know I slept for an hour less. So I was really upset about that. So anyways, Talisi and I are kind of on the rocks right now, but we'll hopefully recover. We're working through the Gospel of Mark. Hopefully you were here last week. Uh, Doug uh, gave us an awesome message, the back half of chapter three and the start of chapter four. And um, I want to talk for a second. Doug was in chapter four talking about this parable of the sower. And uh, what had happened was um, he, he was talking about how there's some different interpretive choices or options that people make. Who is the sower? Um, oh, and by the way, if you want to open up your Bibles or a device or whatever, we're going to be Mark 4, 21 to 41 this morning. But, you know, who's the sower? That's a question that some scholars argue and, uh, about and talk about is, you know, who's this sower? 
Is it us? Is it the disciples? Is it Jesus? And Doug made a case that he believes that the sower in this parable in context is Jesus. That Jesus is the one who goes around scattering seed wherever he goes. That he scatters it on every type of ground, whether it's rocky ground or thorny ground or pathy, if that's a word, ground, uh, or good dirt. And what a beautiful picture that is for the gospel. That this God who doesn't just, you know, look around for good dirt, he just sows liberally everywhere he goes. He says the gospel is for everyone. He sows it everywhere. I'm thankful for that because I can't just, because, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I can't decide, oh, you know, I've been, it's just because I'm good soil. It's because God is generous. And at the times of my life when I've been rocky or pathy or thorny or whatever, that God's just sowed. And I would agree that this parable is about Jesus in context. I think that's the best interpretive choice. What I want to do this morning is we're going to be working through three parables of Jesus. Parables, my favorite genre in, this, in scripture. I love when Jesus teaches in parables. Look at three parables and then one miracle. And uh, in these, um, I kind of want to just set a theme. Now, I just said that I believe that this parable is about Jesus being the sower. But I believe that if he is our king, our ruler, our Lord, and we're called to follow him, then it makes sense that we would do the things that the person we're following does. So we should sow seed. We should, be, we should take up this task of sowing. That everywhere we go, any type of ground, we should be sowing seed. And that's what I want kind of our focus to be this morning. And so here's my hope. I'll let this out of the bag right now. As we journey through this text this morning, my hope is that at the end, we just leave this place feeling a little bit more encouraged, inspired, and empowered to, at FBC, we talk about thinking out, engaging with the world around us, to go and share the gospel, to just sow seed, to just drop seeds of the gospel, reflections of God's love. I mean, there's nothing better than for us to share God's love. That's our mission with the world around us. And so my hope is that by the time we're done this morning, um, that the text will have inspired us to be at a point where we're like, that's, that, that's where we're at. We can think out, we can go and sow seed. Before we dive into the text, I just wanna invite you to pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray this morning that we would have ears to hear, that we would be open to your light, and that we would consider carefully what we read and what we hear, God. Thank you so much that you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, he's talking to these people in Mark 4. We'll start in verse 21. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So, so we've got a fair amount of ground to cover this morning, but I, I do want to just pick apart these three verses to hopefully give us a, a little bit of a, like a starting point this morning. So one thing that's important when you're trying to read scripture well, is to understand that just because one word is used somewhere in one way doesn't mean it's used the same way in another way, not every time. So some of you might read this, you say, do you put a lamp under a bowl? And you might, you might remember, hopefully, if you haven't read Matthew 5, then read it, it's awesome. But you might remember Matthew 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Don't put your light under a bowl. And Jesus does use similar language sometimes, but for different purposes. Jesus is not talking about the same thing here. Same as with the parable of the sower. Jesus is talking about his light, the light of his kingdom, the gospel that has come. And he's saying, this light won't be hidden under a bowl. You can't hide this light under a bowl. Throughout scripture, God, Jesus, the gospel is referred to as the light of the world. And it's so important 
because I want, I want you to picture this. I mean, for us to light a lamp and put it under a bowl is kind of weird, archaic language to us, but imagine it this way. Imagine you're one of those people who like camps out the night before Black Friday or Boxing Day or whatever. Hopefully you don't camp out the night before Boxing Day because I hope you're with people on Christmas, but um, you're not camping in the middle of the winter. But So you camp out because you're like, tomorrow morning... Uh, the iPhone XR is released, or whatever the next one's going to be, you know? Um, and you're just like, I need to get this phone. And, or, or whatever the equivalent is in those other types of phones that, uh, that aren't iPhones. But um, no offense, just, you know, we line up for iPhones, not those. But uh, sorry. Uh, you get this phone, and you open the box, and you pull out your brand new iPhone, or Huawei, or uh, Samsung, or whatever. And you pull it out, and... In the factory, they had installed an opaque black film over top of the screen that you can't remove and that you can't see. Light can't get through it. What a useless device. It's just a brick, right? Like it, it, has, it has no purpose because it's only the light that matters. Light's actually a really interesting thing because light is our only means for perceiving reality around us. Like when we see, we think we look at an object or a person and we, we see them, all we see is light bouncing off of them and hitting our eyeballs. Light is what gives us a picture of what reality is. And that's what the light of the gospel does. We're in the middle of this journey of this thing called life and we're figuring it out as we go. We continue to grow and we make mistakes and we learn from them, things go well, we learn from others. But at the core of it, there's this light that's Jesus and it brings truth to all of it. And it's what helps us understand reality. And this light... It says, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out and see open. This light permeates all. It goes into the darkest corners of the world and our lives, and it brings it all to light. It's interesting for us, a lot of times I think we decide to have uh, like secrets in our life or to hide things or to be closed off or put, off, put up walls, even as, as Christians. And it's so interesting because we believe in a text that says that God's light shines on all of it. There are no secrets from the God who created you, who knows your soul, who knits you together and knows every thought that enters your mind. But sometimes we get so concerned about sharing with others. You know, what if they know this about me? Or what if, what if they know that I did this or said this or thought that? Who, who cares? The God who created the universe and the only one who can ever judge you knows. I, I don't want to depart from the text too much here, but I would say that from this and other parts of Scripture, understanding that God's light shines through all of it, we should treat our lives that way as we engage in community with one another. As we think big and think small, we do community together as Christians. What's the point of having walls and secrets and barriers? And then Jesus closes this paragraph by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And we're going to come back to this a little bit more later. But what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying, okay, well, if the frequencies that are coming out of my mouth can hit the oracle of your ear and vibrate through the incus, malice, and stapes and then hit your tympanic membrane and create this sensory perception of sound becoming words in your brain. He's talking about something much deeper than that. He's saying, what are you doing with the words that you hear? Are you leaning into the message of the gospel or are you kind of, are you resisting? Are you just hearing it but not letting it take root in your life? And We'll come back to this a little bit more, but I have this picture for this. On Monday, I went to a fun zone at the Service Sports Center with little Averett. It's like a thing for kids. Um, 
me, it was me and a, a bunch of moms because um, most of my dad friends worked during the day. Well, Barry was there. So yeah, just me and a bunch of moms and their kids. And we had this play date. Sorry, couldn't resist. And we're having this play date. And I, don't, I actually don't remember whose kid it was, but one of the kids um, wanted to play catch. So they handed me this ball. And they stood there in front of me uh, with their hands at their side. And I'm like, well, this is dodgeball, not catch, you know? Um, and headshots count. But uh, I, I had to tell this kid, I'm like, you know, this is a thing of posture. Like, if you want to play catch, you can't stand there with your hands in your pocket. So I helped him make this, uh, like, I don't know, it, like, go like this, put his hands out ready to receive so I could throw him the ball. And so I whipped it out of his face, no, it's can't. Um, so I threw it, and he caught it because he was ready to receive. This is a posture that's going to come up a little bit throughout this text, is that we should be like that child with our arms ready to receive. This is what it means to have ears to hear, to say, Jesus, yes, you teach, and I'll change my life according to your teachings. Not, I'll just hear the words, I'll just experience the ball being thrown at me, but I'll receive. It's the thing of receptivity. We've got to move on. Verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So this is, uh, again, Matthew 7, you hear uh, Jesus use this language of whatever measure you use, it will be measured to you. And maybe your mind goes there, and it's good if you're connecting the dots, but this is a pretty different text. There he's talking about judgment. Here he's talking about engaging with his teachings. So let's just recap to create a little bit of context. He's just taught this parable of the sower where he comes and he sows the gospel. Then he's talked about his teachings being this light that comes that we can receive and embrace. And then he says, carefully consider what you hear. So he's talking about how we lean into the teaching of the gospel if we embrace the teachings that he brings and if we're willing, if we have this posture of being ready to catch and have our lives changed. And this next part, the measure you use, it's maybe a bit of a... It sounds nice, but then when you think about what does that actually mean, so I want to offer kind of my best interpretive kind of tidbit there, if I can. So to me, it's four parts. Whatever measure you use, part one. Two, it will be measured to you. Three, whoever has, four, will be given more. Measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whoever has, will be given more, if you can follow that. Um, so this first one, whoever, with the measure you use, in the context of Jesus talking about his teachings and the gospel and the idea of him going and sowing gospel of the kingdom, I would contend that whatever measure you use would be, we could maybe well explain it as the attention that you use when listening to his parables, his teachings. So he's saying, carefully consider what you hear with the measure of that, the attention you use to the, to the parables, that's the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It will spiritually profit you. It will spiritually benefit you. With the attention you use to Jesus' teachings, it will be, it's like Barry is talking about. You know, he's saying, it's interesting, we give and then, you know, we experience blessing, blessing as a result. God rewards us back for doing the things he calls us to. So the measure you use, the attention you use to his teaching, it'll be measured to you. You'll benefit, you'll profit, you'll grow spiritually. Whoever has, this is not a rich get richer and poor get poorer phrase, but whoever has will be given more. So step three, whoever has, by way of application, as you receive the gospel and you spiritually benefit, you apply it to your life, you live it out, will be given more. God will bless you even more and will draw you even closer to his heart. That's what I would do with that passage. Let's get into the second parable. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. 
A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, this parable, I would say, is largely about the advent of the kingdom of God. Jesus comes, he's the farmer that plants seed, and it just grows, like out of control. No one knows how or why. Like, think about it, he comes, he's a little baby, grows up a bit, gets 12 random dudes, kind of a weird collection of them, you know, uh, fisherman, tax collector, guy who's gonna betray him, stuff like that, weird collection of dudes. And now look, there's a room full of people, and this happens like, this is happening in other parts of our city, all around the world. Jesus is this farmer that came and sowed some seeds and it grew like out of control. But even though I think this is a parable about how Jesus works and how he started his kingdom and it's growing, I think we can still glean something from it about how we should live. Glean, that was a, I don't know much about farming, but that was an agriculture joke, by the way. And you guys just listen to it stone faced. There's a farmer back there that just laughed. Okay, thank you. I know nothing about agriculture. I grew up in Calgary and I live in Lloyd. And man, like, I, I'm, I'm thankful for farmers. Like, I recognize that food comes from there, but I, I'm sorry, I don't really know it. I love these parables. I don't really get it. So I need to go to a farm one day and learn. But here's what I know about farming. I know that farmers plant stuff, unless they're animal farmers, then they don't do that. But if they are the farmers that, I don't know what their food, their, yeah, crops, um, it, that types of farmer, sorry, I'm embarrassing myself, aren't I? They plant stuff. They don't grow it. They do things to invest into it. But farmers aren't out there making photosynthesis happen, right? Like they're not out there. Someone made a comment to me earlier. They're like, you know more about how the ear works than you know about how grain works and you live in Lloydminster. And I was like, yeah, I guess I just paid attention to the wrong parts of biology. But, um, you know, the farmer isn't on the field like yelling at the grain, like, grow, get out of the ground, like trying to control where the sun is in the sky, you know, and saying, you know, these UV rays, like, they plant, and I imagine they do some other things. I, I don't, you know, and, and as a result, there's this harvest. And this is the goal of thinking out, that the kingdom of God will spread, that it will grow and that people will come to know the incredible, life-changing love of Jesus. That when Jesus returns, there will be this harvest, crops all over the place, people who know him and will spend eternity with him. Imagine a farmer out in the field um, who, who he's so focused on growing his, like trying to figure out how they grow and making these scientific things happen where, where it just, like, like it's incredible how seeds just grow. Like even if you know the science, it's, it's kind of like the microwave. I love the microwave. It's like my favorite cooking utensil. But I put a pizza pop in there. I mash some buttons. And a couple minutes later, it's hot. Like it just like wizard magic right in my kitchen. You know, it's just like, wow. Like I, I know it works. I don't really know how. Imagine a farmer out there who's, who's more concerned about how it grows and trying to make that happen. He's sitting up late at night, you know, trying to plan out, how can I make the crops grow? How can I do this? And how can I make the sun be in the right place? How can I do all these things? And he's so focused on that that he forgets to plant the seeds. What foolishness that would be. But I think that's how we often approach thinking out, evangelism, sharing the gospel, sharing our faith.
We think so much, well, how will this land in this person's life? How will they grow? What type of soil are they? How will they respond? What do we do after? What about this? And I think there are some good questions to ask about that, but you have to understand that we sow and God grows. It is that simple. We have, imagine getting, like being face-to-face with God one day and him saying, you had one job. That's to sow. Sometimes we're so focused on, will will this grow? Will this work? What are the results? It's not results-driven. It's obedience-driven. And here's the real danger with that, is that when you try to do God's job for him, you forget to do your own job for him. Sometimes we get so focused on what will the results be? Will I succeed in doing this? You succeed when you obey in your one job, and that is to sow, to go out and like the good farmer, like the good sower, to walk step behind him, step and step behind him, and sow seed everywhere you go. That's it. I mean, imagine, this plays out a lot, like, I have one more now. Imagine like in your workplace, you know, you're, you're working with, a, with other staff and you're so concerned about their jobs that you're going out and trying to do their jobs for them and doing stuff for them. And what does that do? That takes your focus off of your job. That distracts you and, and it makes it so that you're worse at your job. It'd be the same in sports. You're on a sports team and you're like, you, you're so focused on what everyone else on your team is doing and you go and you try to do their job for Like on a hockey team, you, know, you got a goalie. Imagine a goalie, he gets on the ice and all he can think about is how are we going to score goals? I got to try to score goals. I got to try to, you know, get this puck in the other team's net. Well, what's going to happen is he's not going to be focused on being a goalie. And imagine the forward. The forward's like, okay, I got I to play goal. I got to stop pucks from going and I got to be in front of the net the whole time. He's not going to be focused on scoring goals, and it's his job. I, I recognize there are a lot of Oilers fans in this room, and this is probably missing because you're like, scoring goals, stopping goals? I don't, what? I don't get it. Um, there are other teams playing on TV. You could check it out as, kind of for an example. But, um, but uh, Bruins, I think that's the same farmer that helped me out earlier. But. Man, you have one job. You sow, God grows. Trust him with that. Follow, your, follow the farmer. Follow the sower. Spread seed. That's it. That's all we mean by thinking out. That's your job. Parable number three. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Just a quick contextual note. The mustard seed is not actually the smallest of all seeds on earth. Jesus is talking a first century kind of farming culture. This would be the seed that they would know as the smallest. I only mention that because I love that Jesus speaks to us where we're at. You know, he puts things into our, I love that about Jesus. It's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the bir- birds can perch in its shade. I looked it up. I don't, I don't know much about uh, mustard seeds and the plants, if you can imagine that after what I said earlier. But uh, if you plant mustard seeds and uh, in the right conditions and you wait a few weeks, uh, then it, in a few weeks, it can grow to be like 10 feet tall. That's, that's crazy. That's a big plant. A lot of shade for these birds that perch in its branches. That's a tongue twister. Birds that perch in its branches. It's this amazing miraculous way that seeds take root and grow. If you've never really considered sharing your faith and sharing your story and sowing seeds and doing that, man, it is the most exciting thing you can experience as a follower of Jesus, is to plant seeds and watch it take root. It blows your mind every time. You're like, man, like I can't believe 
He's had some conversations, and now this person's following Jesus. Like Jesus said, night and day. He goes to sleep, he's awake, doesn't know how it happens, but God brings life when we sow seeds. Do it. Mark offers a little bit of commentary here. He says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. As much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. I, I used to read this and think, you know, this is, this is weird. Uh, and I actually had kind of negative feelings about it. I was like, it seems like Jesus is kind of like confusing people. Like he's going out and kind of giving these kind of cryptic messages about like these weird parables and people can't understand it. And then when he gets with his squad, like his posse, he's, he's like, okay, guys, here's the secret. This is what it means. Don't tell anyone. And that's really not what I think is going on here. What happens is that Jesus explains these parables to the people who choose to follow him after his hard teaching. The crowd, they hear the hard teaching and they retreat. But his disciples, what happens is they hear the hard teachings, they hear the the tricky parables and they, they lean in. They say, Jesus, you know, I know it's after hours, it's supper time, we're hungry, but we're gonna follow you because we wanna know what you mean. Our arms are open to receive. We wanna carefully consider, we wanna have ears to hear, we wanna listen to what you're saying and we're willing to change our lives. Please explain to us the mystery of the gospel so that it can change our lives. For me, when I read something like that, I, I, I just have to stop and ask myself, do I, have, do I have ears to hear? Do I carefully consider what Jesus is saying? Do I pursue him after the hard teaching and say, I want to know more. I want that teaching to change my life. I, 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 don't, know what, I don't know what happens for you guys on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you come to church and say, well, hopefully the message is like interesting or, or, or not boring or whatever. And <laughs> Sorry if it is sometimes, but... I hope that when you come to church or you open scripture, the real question is, God, how can I carefully consider what you're saying to me now? You've been a Christian for 100 years. It doesn't matter. The gospel is still this force that can change your life and still continue to help you grow closer to God. With the measure that you use, God will measure it back to you. So all these teachings, and it concludes with this story that happens in the evening. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love this picture of Jesus because I can really relate um, he, these teachings that have happened uh, in Mark 4 are all before this episode. It's been a long day of teaching, and you can actually read more parables in some of the other gospels that can fill in the blanks. Jesus had this long day of teaching. He's out in the Middle East, probably in the open, and, and just talking and teaching and being challenged and questioned and trying to explain things to people. For me, I, I love my job. But Sunday mornings, you know, I wake up at like 7 a.m. Today, actually 6 a.m., I found out. Um, and uh, I come here and, uh, you know, I, I get to talk a couple times, which I love to do. This afternoon, I got a missions experience meeting. Then I'll whip home for a few minutes to hang out with my baby. And then I'll come back for youth and have that. And, and I love it. But at the end of the night, man, I, I'm drained, like emotionally, mentally. And I picture Jesus just teaching this heavy message of the gospel and just being drained at the end of the day, just being, getting on the boat and just being like, get out of my way, give me my pillow, 
and heading for the back of the boat and saying, I'm, I'm taking a nap. You know, taking this deep, heavy, I imagine this is like day seven of creation type nap, you know? This is like, Jesus, like, I'm out. And you know, when you've had those days, you've pulled like a double shift or you've, you, you've been driving all day or just those long days. And at the end, there's like no way you can stay awake even if you tried. You don't even want to shower because you're like, I'm going to fall asleep standing up and hurt myself, you know? And you fall asleep, World War III could break out around you and you're just out. This is my picture of Jesus. Just like there's this huge storm going on and he's just snoozing hard. Like he's just out. His disciples start freaking out. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no, do you, do you still have no faith? Don't you remember? I healed people of diseases. I've cast out demons. There were dead people that I brought back to life. Imagine Jesus being like, are you kidding? We're on this important mission and you think I'm just going to let us die out here? It's so interesting that these disciples were so afraid of this storm from the sea when they've got the creator of the sea who has dominion and power and authority over the sea itself snoozing in the back of their boat. Mark doesn't waste space when he writes his gospel. It is short and succinct. He doesn't waste any space. That's Luke. Luke wastes his, he goes on and on, you know? Mark, he's like to the point. He doesn't put anything in here without a reason. This isn't just a cool story. Mark's thesis is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and ruler and divine creator of every single bit of creation and that he has dominion over it. They're in the middle of this lake that's having a storm, but they've got the creator on their boat who has complete dominion and power and control over this sea. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? For a little bit of like contextual background, the Sea of Galilee, it's the second biggest lake in the world uh, still. And uh, it's, it's actually really low. It's like 700 feet below sea level. So what happens with that is there's some mountains on the eastern side of it and wind will rush over the mountains and will plummet down the mountains and hit the lake and create a storm. It's pretty common, especially if it's a cool wind because uh, cool air, cold air is denser than warm air. It'll displace the warm air and it'll hit the lake even harder and there'll be a big storm. It's pretty common for the Sea of Galilee to have storms. A lot of people in the first century wouldn't feel very comfortable going out on the Sea of Galilee. They wouldn't do that regularly by choice. It wouldn't just be, you know, now we have like boats and sea dudes, we do that for fun. That, that's just not like their vibe back then. They, they do that for a living or for transportation. Also, in first century, these guys probably a good chance they're kind of superstitious and believe in like mythological beasts and stuff. So like the Ogopogo and the Loch Ness Monster used to live in the Sea of Galilee, I believe. And uh, they'd be scared of the sea. They'd be freaked out. So for them, this is a scary thing. This is a normal and culturally accepted thing for them to be afraid of. This is like, you know, they've heard of people uh, having troubles in the Sea of Galilee. They've heard the stories. They've seen on the news. They've seen on social media what happened on the Sea of Galilee to some other people. So they're scared. I, I think that this, for me, following up these parables and thinking about our responsibility to sow seed, for me is very interesting. Because, you know, we're called to think out and we're called to sow seed and one of our biggest hangups ever is just fear. 
We're just afraid. Like, what will they think? What will they say? What if they social media shame me, you know? Like, what if they unfriend me? What if they stop talking to me in real life? What if this person's mad at me? What if I lose my job? What if people think less of me? Those are culturally acceptable things to be afraid of. Actually, our culture is all about that. We don't want to offend people because of what people will think, right? That's, that's kind of our vibe. The disciples, they didn't realize what they had in their boat. They're full of fear because they forget that they have the creator of the universe taking a nap in the back of their boat. How often do we do that when we think about thinking out, when we think about sharing our faith or sharing our story? We know it's a good idea. No one's going to say, oh, yeah, I don't want people to experience God's love, but you know, what will they say? You know, I've had some bad interactions before. The disciples are scared of the power of the sea. The sea is full of monsters and waves and things that can hurt them. So much so that they forget to recognize how much greater the power of the person sleeping in the back of the boat is than the power of the sea. They're more concerned about the power of the sea than the power of their king, their Messiah, Jesus. For us, that's often what we do. We're more concerned about the power that we ascribe to other people than the power that Jesus has in our lives. Jesus actually talks about this. He says, why are you afraid of people who can only harm the body? You should be afraid of the God who judges the soul and the body and can destroy both. Here's this sea. It's the second biggest lake on planet Earth, which to Jesus is this, I imagine Jesus being up in heaven. He's like, oh, it's this massive lake. Let's go down and see if we can find this tiny lake. His creator seeing this lake that's part of this tiny planet in the midst of this massive universe that we can't even explore. Saying, why are you afraid of the power of that? Why are you afraid of the power of people that I created, who I want to know? When we invite people to know Jesus, ultimately we're asking them to put their trust in Jesus, to make him Lord of their life, to trust God with their lives. That's kind of our goal, is to experience his love by trusting him with their lives. But wherever we have fear in our lives, simple definition, but when you have fear in your life, it just shows you areas of your life where you don't fully trust God. If you have a fear, you can rest assured that there's an area of, that's an area of your life where you don't fully trust God, especially when it comes to stuff that's so close to the gospel. What an interesting paradox. And this is what I would say about that paradox. If you won't trust God, you can't help others trust God. Maybe that sounds really intense and really harsh, but here's Jesus saying, why are you afraid of these things? I've got you. Yeah, he's taking a nap, but he's there. He's with you. I think it's really easy to lose focus of that. You guys probably know I love having people up here on stage to share a bit about their story and what God's been doing in their lives. It makes it so I don't have to do as much sermon prep, so it's really good. But um, I'm going to get Becky to come up here. And uh, I, for me... We can talk about the gospel, and I just love hearing how it plays out in people's lives and impacts people's lives. I'm going to brag on you for a second before I let you talk. Uh, Becky's awesome. If you haven't gone to meet her yet, she's greeting at the doors most Sundays, and you should meet her because she's amazing. She's one of our youth leaders. She's part of our welcome team. She actually schedules greeters, and she's just an awesome friend, um, and she's amazing. And so I had asked her, we're talking about this and this idea of sowing seeds. And when we talk about sowing seeds, we, we want to do that locally, but we also, as you guys know, we do some mission stuff here at the church. And so we're both going to Bulgaria on this missions experience uh, next month, uh, which I'm really excited about. I hope you are. Are you excited to be up here? Not really. Okay. But oh. Bulgaria will be good, right? Okay. So um, the... Uh, 
and so we're gonna go there and our goal is really just to sow seeds. We don't think we're gonna revolutionize all of Bulgaria in 10 days. That'd be awesome, God can do anything, but uh, probably not really. We just wanna go and obey. We sow, he grows. And um, so I wanted Becky to share um, a little bit. Um, I think fear is such a massive part of our journeys. I know it's been part of your journey when we're trying to follow Jesus and go out and be bold about our faith. So why don't you tell, me, tell us a little bit about how you've seen that play out in your world? Um, I have a lot of fears and insecurities that uh, really hold me back from doing what God wants me to do. And um, I don't want fear to stop me. And so I'm really trying to uh, put my trust in him and to obey him. It's awesome. Hey, don't you love it? It's like, how sadistic am I? Oh, you struggle with fear and insecurity? Let's get you up on stage in front of hundreds of people to talk about that. So... Um, Here's, here's an interesting question that I've been processing in regards to this, because you know, I'm up here talking about this. I'm not saying I don't struggle with this. I, I, I struggle with those same doubts and fears and anxieties. Do you find it scarier to think about sowing seeds here in your world here or to go to Bulgaria, almost on the other side of the world, and do that? I think for me, it's a lot harder here because um, you've spent this time building these relationships with other people, and to share the gospel, they might reject that and reject you and um, damage that relationship. So I feel like you're putting yourself at risk there and um, that you're worrying about how they're going to take it and if they're going to be offended and how that will impact that relationship. Hmm. It's, it, it's, we're, we're so interesting as people, right? It's like the people that love and trust us the most we're more scared of than random like, people on the other side of the world. The thing that freaks me out the most about sharing the gospel in Bulgaria is that they, not, they shake their head for yes and nod their head for no. We find, that's actually true. We, Google told us, so it's true. But um, I'm, just, I'm scared about these situations. Like Someone's like, oh, can I accept Jesus right now? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, I can't. Oh, shoot. So uh, hopefully we can, hopefully God can work through that. Um, so that's kind of the negative. We're talking about the fear and stuff like that. So I want you to inspire us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how God's been working in your life in regards to your fear and insecurity and how, how that's giving you opportunities to sow seeds and, and, and just trust that he's in the back of the boat. Um, my fears really hold me back. As soon as um, my first reaction to anything God's asking me to do is no way. And I just want to run away and allow somebody else to do that. Somebody else is much better at this than I am. Why do I need to do this? But God's asking me to do that. And so what I try to do is I really try to take, every time there's a negative thought about not being worthy enough, not being capable, not being um, the right person, I try to take those thoughts captive and um, to hear the truth. And so, like 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So I'm choosing to obey him, and I need to step out of my comfort zone. And he has given me a spirit that will enable me to do those things, to um, encourage other people, and uh, he just enables us with his spirit. Um, there's also so much scripture about trusting him, and Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. Um, every time God has asked me to step out of my comfort zone, He has shown up for me. He 
has been there. My relationship with him has grown. Um, and I can just, I can put my full trust in him. Um, if it wasn't for Jesus, I love Jesus, and I just want to obey Jesus. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be serving on a welcome team. I wouldn't be following him. I wouldn't be uh, a youth leader. Um, and I wouldn't be going to Bulgaria. And he's the one that has enabled me to do that. It's pretty amazing how when you actually like do the things that the guy who created everything says, it kind of works out and makes sense. You know, and it's like you find out, oh yeah, he is still in the back of the boat there. Um, I want to say one quick thing, and then we'll continue with Becky. So uh, we are going to Bulgaria, and we're very excited, and we hope that you guys will be praying for us and supporting us in that way. Um, we are like, if you can imagine fundraising for a trip like this being a bit of a marathon, we're at the end where you like are sprinting, um, and we've talked about our envelope wall out there a bit. Uh, we, we don't want to talk about it every Sunday. We really don't want to feel like we're trying to coerce you guys into giving, but we'd love your support. We're just trying to finish up our last bit of fundraising. There are 66 envelopes out there, and if you run quick, there's like one that's as low as 16 bucks. So you can be like, oh yeah, I did it, and it not even cost you that much. We would, we would love it if this morning we could just finish that off. That'd be so great, then we could stop thinking about that and just focus on prepping for the trip in other ways. So please, even if you just take a small envelope or if you take 20 envelopes, hint, hint, um, uh, please, please go visit that wall and consider supporting us in that way. So one last thing, uh, when I was um, talking to Becky about coming up here and sharing a bit, she was a little nervous, but then last Sunday, Julie was up here and Julie prayed at the end. And Becky last Sunday said to me, she said, uh, you're not going to make me pray, are you? And I said, well, I wasn't planning on it. Why? And she said, oh, because that would freak me out so bad. I'm way too afraid to do that. And so uh, just a little warning, if you don't know me, when you say something like that to me, it's a little bit of a trigger to be like, oh, really? Okay, so uh, Becky and I had a really good conversation. We're still friends, I think, right? Yeah, okay. Well, you have to say yes, you're up here. But um, she's, uh, every time I've stepped out of my comfort zone or seen people step out of their comfort zones, which usually takes people giving them a bit of a push, you're right, God always shows up. And so Becky said that she'd pray for us and then we're gonna, we're gonna sing and then hope you guys have an awesome week. So take it away, Becky. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for loving us. Uh, you love us when we're suffering, when we're surviving, and when we're succeeding. Um, I just want to thank you, God, for our church community and how supportive they are here and, uh, and for a place that we can come together. And I thank you, Lord, for um, our leaders that uh, encourage us and challenge us to step out of our comfort zones and want more of you, Lord. I pray that you will help us to trust you in every single area of our life, not just the easy areas, but um, in the hard ones too, and uh, that you will enable us to conquer our fears, God, and uh, that you will just be there for us, and um, through us, uh, you will do your work, and uh, somehow in us, you will be glorified in that, Lord, and I pray this in your name, amen. Amen.